Hi everybody, um, as you might have guessed from those videos, today we're going to be talking about worry. And so I want to start off today by acknowledging that some of us are a little more prone to worry than others. I don't know if you're like me, but maybe you go to sleep at night and you find yourself tossing and turning, you can't fall asleep, you're imagining 8,000 different scenarios of what could happen in the future and you're worrying. Or maybe you're the person that goes to bed at night and your head hits the pillow, you're out like a light, you sleep like a baby. And so I, I think there's this spectrum of people, right? How much were you prone or how much we're prone to worry? And so I think worry is something that we find ourselves, all of ourselves doing to some extent. And whether we're actively acknowledging that it's worry and we're calling it worry or we're trying to call it something else, I think it's something that um, we all struggle with. And so today I'm going to be talk talking about the topics of worry and of anxiety from a biblical perspective. And my goal here today, I, I want to make it super clear off the top, it's not to diminish or to make light or to trivialize any of the genuine challenges that you are facing in your life that are causing you to worry. And I also want to acknowledge that there's likely people watching today who deal with anxiety disorders or other mental health challenges that may result in them worrying more than the average person. And so while I don't know every one of your individual situations, I can say that I understand how challenging those struggles can be. At various times in my life, I've struggled with worry and anxiety to the point where I sought professional help. I saw therapists and counselors to work through practical ways to deal with my stress, my anxiety. And there's definitely been times in my life where fear and anxiety ruled over my life. And if you told me then that I would be speaking to you all today on worry, I probably would have laughed and I probably would have called myself a hypocrite. But this is part of the exact reason that um, when Jonathan first asked me to speak and said, hey, pick a topic, this one came to mind. As I was reading through the list of things I could speak on, I felt God's voice telling me, hey, you've struggled with this one before. Let's work through this together. And so I'm really looking forward to having the opportunity to walk through this with you guys and sharing some of my learnings. And I hope that uh, this is a message of hope for everybody listening. We're in this global pandemic. Things are uncertain. They're scary. Maybe your life was scary and uncertain even before the pandemic. But I do know that this last year has added more worry, anxiety, and concern to my life and the life of those around me than ever before. And so for that very reason, I hope that this is a timely message for you. I hope that God uses this passage to speak to your heart just as he's spoken to mine through it. And so um, let's start off by uh, diving into this passage. Today we're going to be in Matthew 6, uh, continuing off where we left off last week. We're going to be in verses 25 to 34. So if you have a Bible handy, feel free to pull that out. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. We have Jesus. He's preaching the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples, this growing crowd. And here is what he says. And so in the NIV translation I'm reading from, the title of this is Do Not Worry. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So I want to dive into prayer here. Dear Lord, um, I thank you for the opportunity to speak here today. I thank you for your words here in Matthew, that you sent your son Jesus to speak to us in, in such a practical way, giving us really tangible examples of how we can live our life, God. Um, I pray that you would use me today um, to speak your truth. I, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I might provide um, wisdom and your truth uh, to those listening. And I just thank you for this opportunity um, and pray for every person listening in their homes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I don't know about you guys, but the first question that comes to mind after I read this passage in Matthew is, what exactly does it mean to worry, right? If Jesus is serious, and we're treating this sermon series as if Jesus is serious about these things, so if he's serious about not worrying, we need to know exactly what worry is in order to avoid it, right? So this can be kind of challenging because we hear the word worry used a lot these days. We hear it in a lot of different contexts. You might hear someone say, I'm worried that it's going to rain tomorrow. Or maybe you hear someone say, like me, I'm worried my package won't arrive in time. It's a, a really relevant one for me these days, lots of online shopping. I get worried my package won't come. But then you also hear people use the word worry in the context, I'm worried that I'll lose my job. They said they're going to lay off half the department next week. Or maybe you have a loved one who says, I'm worried about my dad's health. He has cancer. And to me, these things seem like very different things, right? So which of these contexts is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about all of these contexts? Is he talking about some of them when he says not to worry? Are all of these things relevant? Can I worry about any of them? And to make things even more complicated, worry is now often used interchangeably with the word anxiety. We hear people say things like, I'm anxious about an upcoming exam. What if I fail? Or I'm anxious about becoming a new mom. What if I'm bad at it? But then sometimes we feel like anxiety has this whole different meaning, right? It's completely separate from the way that we use the word worry. People say things like, I have social anxiety. Or the thought of confronting my friend gives me anxiety. Anxiety then becomes something you have or, or is given to you. And so I wanted to dive deeper into what is the difference between worry and anxiety and what which of this is Jesus talking about? And so um, I did what anyone does these days. I Googled it. I wanted to see what the world said about this difference between worry and anxiety. And I found that experts actually have some really interesting insights on these key differences. And so one of these key differences is that worry exists in our minds, whereas anxiety can be felt throughout the body. 
Having a panic attack uh, is something that's often talked about with anxiety. Sweaty palms, difficulty breathing, dizziness, increased heart rate. You feel these things throughout your body, whereas worry uh, um, is kind of stuck in the mind there, right? Another key difference here is that worry is often noted as short-term, um, whereas anxiety is long-standing. Maybe for you, COVID-19 was a worry when it first started, but now over a year later, it's become an anxiety. And so while there is these differences, there's also similarities. Both worry and anxiety have the potential to motivate us to change. One article actually states that worry prompts us to use problem-solving skills to address our concerns. And I hear this and I go, is this what Jesus is talking about? How can worry be so bad if it's causing me to take problem-solving steps to solve my problems, right? Like if a student isn't worried that they might fail their class, they're probably not going to study for their final exam. And if they don't study, then they might actually fail. So we hear this and we say, okay, worry must be this good thing, right? And I am actually going to claim here that society tells us that in order to get ahead, we have to be worrying. But it's important to recognize here that Jesus's teachings are countercultural. Jesus is serious when he calls us not to worry. And he's saying, do not worry. And this is where we get into the root of things. The original text here was written in Greek and actually uses the word merimnau. And so merimnau is actually translated into a few different English words throughout the Bible. We have care, anxiety, Worry and concern are all English words that, you, that have the original Greek word merimnau. And so merimnau, when used in the future tense, kind of connotates this anxious expectation for something that is to come. This anxious expectation of what is going to happen next. But then when used in the present tense, merimnau is used as this aching sense of grief or concern for something that an individual is going through in that moment. And so in the over a dozen instances that this word is used in the New Testament, Merim now, um, it has both positive and negative connotations. We see the example Paul uses it in Philippians when he's talking about the genuine concern or the genuine Merim now that Timothy has for the church. Paul also uses it to reference his own concern for the church. In 2 Corinthians, he says, I have daily concern or daily Merim now for the church. So these are some positive instances. There's also negative ones, which is this passage in Matthew, as Jesus tells us not to worry or not to merim now. And Jesus also uses the word merim now in the parable of the sower in Mark 4. He says the seed sown among thorns is choked out by the worries of life. The exact um, quotation here is the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things to come. They come in and choke the word out, making it unfruitful. The worries of our life or the merim now of our life actually has the potential to choke out the salvation of an individual, which I think is really powerful here. The multiple uses of the word merim now in these different contexts in the New Testament can be frustrating. Left me feeling frustrated of what the heck is Jesus talking about? It can leave us feeling confused, but I also think that the complexities of this word is really powerful. It shows us that God understands the complexities of our worry and our concern. He knows that our lives are complicated and that we have a lot of things we care deeply about. 
He's not dismissing our feelings. He's not asking us not to think about things. Jesus isn't telling us that we can't have thought or foresight. He's not forbidding us from preparing for our future. He's not saying we can't grieve in the moment for those going through challenging times. And you know, despite the fact that in this passage in Matthew, when Jesus says, see how the flowers of the field grow, they do not labor or spin. I don't think he's giving us an excuse not to work hard, to provide for ourselves or our family. Uh, Paul makes this really clear in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 when he says, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. I don't think God is calling us to laziness or lack of action or lack of care. But just because Jesus isn't saying these things doesn't mean he's not serious in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's shift gears a little bit and let's look at exactly what Jesus is saying. And so it's important to distinguish with this passage that Jesus is giving examples such as food, water, and clothes, which are all physical needs. But despite the fact that Jesus only uses physical examples of needs um, when he's referencing examples of things not to worry about, this is still a general call not to worry about anything. And Jesus makes this really clear right off the top. It's almost like he's anticipating us asking, uh, does this include like my wants or is this just physical needs? He says, do not worry about your life, point blank, period. And then he goes into these examples. But in the context of the entire Sermon on the Mount, the fact that Jesus is highlighting physical needs in this passage um, as something not to worry about makes a lot of sense. You see, if you recall from these last few weeks, Jesus has just asked his followers not to store up treasures on this earth. He's told them that they can't serve both him and money. And so uh, I see this as Jesus almost anticipating these, but what about questions? But, but, but what am I going to eat, Jesus? Or, but what about my basic necessities? What about, what about me having to, having to care for my family? He's, he's uh, anticipating these questions and he's preemptively answering them. He's saying, I will provide for you when you seek my kingdom and my righteousness first. And so maybe these, but, but, but what would I eat? Or, but what about my family questions are ones you've been asking yourself over this sermon series as we recognize just how serious God's call to give to the needy and not store up treasures on this earth is. And so I'm not going to reiterate Joel's message from last week about treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth. If you haven't listened, I'd really encourage you to take a listen. It definitely left me with lots of things to think about. But I do want to highlight the way that Jesus is further solidified this point about treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth in this passage again here. When Jesus says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He's essentially trivializing these physical needs or these things of the world that we find ourselves caring way too much about. And so the fact of the matter is that God cares so much more deeply about our salvation. God cares so much more deeply about our souls and our spiritual needs than how successful we are according to the world's standards. And so when he says, is life not more than food and the body uh, more than clothes, God is calling us to see the bigger picture. God is calling us to see the bigger picture. The call to be, the call to not worry is the call to be vigilant. 
with our minds, the call to catch ourselves in our propensity towards greed and longing for the things of this earth. In fact, many of us, myself included in today's North American society, we find ourselves, we're in this place where our fundamental needs that Jesus is referencing in this passage, such as food, drink, clothes, are actually met. And so when we read this passage, we have to replace these needs that God mentions, these physical needs, with whatever wants that we find ourselves worrying about, whether it be career, house, romantic relationship, whatever that might be for you, whatever you're inserting to this passage. And and I'm not going to go on too much of a tangent on this one, but I have found for me in this past week and a bit studying this passage, it's really revealing to me of how truly blessed I am that these needs of mine are met. You see, we're never going to run out of things to worry about. Once you fill those needs, the wants come in and and they get inserted into this passage as these examples. You, You hear the expression, more money equals more problems. The second I stop worrying about what I'm worrying about now, I'm going to just be in this pattern of worrying about what I'll worry about one year from now or five years from now. It might be different, um, but, but it's just kind of compounding. And so this truth has given me, um, some food for thought that perhaps, I'm not following Jesus's teachings on not hoarding worldly wealth and possessions. If I have so much of what I need and what I want, that I don't actually find myself ever worrying about my basic needs. And so I also want to acknowledge the other side of this. And the fact there might be those listening who might worry about what they're going to eat or the roof over their heads, providing for their families in these really tangible physical needs. And so I hope that this message is just as impactful for you. I hope that you're encouraged by the fact that Jesus's desire is for your life and for my life is to be rich in faith rather than rich in worldly possessions. And so when Jesus calls us not to worry about our lives, he's talking about your physical needs and he's talking about our wants. He's talking about financial problems. Jesus is saying, do not worry about your work. Do not worry about your career. He's talking about your health, whether it be physical or mental. He's talking about your personal relationships. He's saying, don't worry about your romantic relationships, your friendships, your family. It's a hard one, eh? Don't worry about your daily life. Don't worry about about the busyness. He's saying, don't worry about COVID-19. And as Christians, Jesus is calling us to recognize when these thoughts of ours go beyond the appropriate marum now or the appropriate care and concern for the given present tense moment and become the type of worry that Jesus is referencing. And so I want you all to take a moment. We're going to do a little bit of an exercise here. I don't know if you have pen and paper in front of you. If not, you can do these things in your head. But I want you to call to mind the top five things that you find yourself worrying about. Maybe for you, it's three or seven, whatever. Five's just a rough estimate, but I want you to have a few tangible examples of things that come to mind. Maybe my previous examples I just list help you out here, but but I'm going to give you a second. What are those things you find yourself worrying about? Now that you've had a second, um, I want you to ask yourself the question, and I think this is a really important question, so I'm going to repeat it twice. Do the things that I am worrying about matter to God from an eternal kingdom-centric perspective or does it feel like they matter because the world tells me that they should matter? 
I'm going to repeat that. Do the things that I am worried about matter to God in the light of eternity, in the light of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, in the light of everything we hear in the Bible? Do these things matter from a kingdom centric perspective or does it feel to me like they matter and that they're really important because the world tells me that they should matter? And I'm going to propose here that worry can be separated actually into two different buckets. The first bucket is the things that we care about because of their earthly significance. The second bucket is the things that God cares deeply about because of their eternal significance. So we have these two buckets of worry. Things we're worrying about because of their earthly significance and things we're worrying about that God also really cares deeply about. And I'm not saying that God doesn't care for any of your more earthly desires. I'm not saying God doesn't care about your hopes and dreams for your time on earth. Um, I, I'm not saying he doesn't care about something unless it's a salvation issue. But, but I think it's a helpful distinction for us to make here. And it gives us a little perspective on the types of things that we're worrying about. And, and I actually believe here that there's a different action that Jesus is calling us to in this Sermon on the Mount, depending on which of these buckets that are worry falls under. And so when it comes to this first bucket, this bucket of those things that we care about because of their earthly significance, I'm going to further propose that it can be broken down into two subcategories. So this is bucket one, so called bucket 1A and, and bucket 1B, if you will. We have distractions and we have idols. So let's dive into distractions a little bit. Distractions are those things, as they're aptly named, that distract us from God's plan for our lives. These are the more trivial things that we worry about, like the weather, small disagreements, what to wear. Maybe I worried a little bit about what to wear today. Um, if our jokes are funny, these things might seem small in the moment or inconsequential, but they can take up a lot of our mental energy and they feel really important in the moment. And maybe for you hearing that I'm saying these things don't matter in the light of eternity uh, can, be really, can feel really dismissive. Or maybe it can feel really liberating. And so when I think about my top five things that I worry about, one of those things is whether or not people like me. And I don't know if this is relatable for you, but I tend to find um, that I myself am a little bit of a people pleaser. And I put this worry into this distraction category. Um, I want to be liked. Like I said earlier, I, I sometimes lay awake at night rehearsing future conversations or analyzing things that people have said to me, thinking about the past, thinking about the future. And these more trivial worries might seem without consequence. I mean, it's not that bad if I want to be liked, right? Like it's a good thing to be liked, but these distractions add up and they actually draw our attention away from God's purpose in our lives in that given moment that we are in. In order to connect with God's purpose for our lives in each moment, we need to be present. We can't be living in the future. We can't be living in the past. And that is what Jesus is calling us to in this moment when he says not to worry. If I spend so much of my life worrying that I'm going to sound stupid or be judged, I might miss out on opportunities to share my testimony with those around me. I might, I might miss out on those things that do matter in the light of eternity. If I was so nervous to speak here today because I'm too young or that people might think I'm not qualified enough or I'm not a good enough speaker, I might have missed out on the opportunity to speak into one of your lives through the words that Jesus is teaching me. 
And so that's this category, this subcategory of distractions. And now we're going to get into the second subcategory, this 1B, we call it. It's part of these worries that we care about because of our earthly significance. But this one I, I'm calling our idols. And this is where it gets a little more personal and a little more tricky, right? Sometimes, I'm going to claim here, the big worries in our life highlight our earthly desires or our idols. So when I think about my list of the top five things I worry about, the number one thing on that is actually my job. I, uh, I worry whether or not my work is good enough. I worry if my boss likes me, if my boss thinks I'm good at my job, am I going to be able to meet next week's deadlines? I take these things so personally. I think about all, them all the time when I'm at work, when I'm not at work. And for me, this worry about my day-to-day -day work highlights this idol that I've unfortunately created for myself out of my career. And it's manifesting itself as worrying about my day-to-day -day work. And so I want you to think back to your list of top five worries, and I want you to ask yourself, what idols does this worry highlight in my life? I'm going to give a few examples to help you out here. Do you worry about finding love? Maybe you're idolizing romantic relationships. I know at certain points in my life, I did that. Do you worry about the stock market? I hear people talking about it a lot. I'm a business student, right? Um, maybe you're idolizing your finances. And if you're turning to something of this earth to find your identity, your purpose, your meaning, fulfillment, you're going to find yourself worrying a lot about how successful you are at that thing. For me, if my career defines my worth or makes up my identity, I'm going to be really concerned with how I'm viewed at work. And Jesus is really clear on this in verse 31 to 32. He says, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And here's the kicker. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows I need a job. He even knows what kind of work makes me feel fulfilled. He probably knew that before I did. He knows what I want for my career, and it's also freeing that he knows exactly what my career is going to look like. And so identifying these idols in our lives is actually the first step to getting rid of them. Acknowledging them confessing them to God, confessing them to those around you that you're walking through life with, and working them into your daily prayer routine is what's going to help us shift our worship from these idols back to God. And we'll find ourselves worrying less about them and seeking first God's kingdom. So now that we've tackled that first bucket of things we care about because of their earthly significance, which includes distractions and idols, it brings us to this second type of worry. And these are those things we worry about that God also cares deeply about because of their eternal significance, because um, in the light of eternity, these things are meaningful. In the light of our personal relationship with the Lord, He cares deeply for us. And so here's a few examples. Maybe you're worried about your children's salvation or if they're going to find faith. Maybe you're worried about a family member's health. Um, maybe you're worried about providing for the basic needs of your family. Maybe you're worried about finding God's purpose or calling in your life. That's definitely in my top five. Jesus makes it really clear in the Sermon of the Mount that the call to not worry is an exercise in trust. Not worrying requires a relationship with God that is built on trust and this foundational belief that God wants good things for our lives, that God truly and deeply cares about our burdens. In verse 30, Jesus clearly lays this out, right? He, he says, all of those who are worrying are you of little faith. 
recognizing and truly believing that when we put our concerns into the hands of God, we're actually putting them in better care than our own hands. This is having faith in God's plan. Again, it comes back to this self-reflection question that I encourage you to ask yourselves, do I truly believe that God wants good things for me in this situation that I'm worrying about? Do I truly believe that God wants me to feel better? Do I truly believe that God has a plan for this situation? This type of trust requires humility, and that's something that doesn't come easy to me. Peter speaks to this in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And I think a key example of this that God shows us in the Old Testament is when the Israelites are wandering the desert, worrying about what they're going to eat or or complaining that they're starving and God provides them with manna. And so for those of you not familiar with this story, manna is this bread-like food that actually fell from the heavens each morning. And the Israelites were instructed to go out and take the manna that they needed and that their household need, households needed to eat for that given day. And the Israelites, known for their lack of faith, stored up manna for future days. Um, and it actually... Um, And they weren't trusting in God's provision. And this manna that they tried to store up would become rotten um, and and inedible. But despite this, God kept providing with new manna each morning. Um, Them worrying in this situation, hoarding up this manna, thinking about the future actually did nothing for them. And I think this is a beautiful picture of God providing for our needs in each given day and requiring us to trust in his continued provision. Jesus is encouraging us to take things day by day, to live in our present tense marrow now, or to live in this care and concern that is appropriate for each given day, each given moment. And we see this mindset again in Psalm 118, when the psalmist tells us to rejoice in today, for it is the day that the Lord has made. God's not asking us to wait and rejoice in the day when problems are solved. He's not asking us to rejoice in the day when my worries uh, come to fruition and I, and I don't have to worry about them. He's asking us to rejoice in the day we are given because we only get it once. And this isn't even the first time in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus emphasizes this fact that God will provide what we need for each specific given day. When he teaches the disciples to pray, as my mother so beautifully taught on a few weeks ago, he instructs them to ask God for their daily bread. Again, another reference to physical needs that actually symbolize so much more. And so I can't guarantee that God will uh, do what you ask of him. I can't guarantee that that's his plan, but I can guarantee that God will provide you with enough that you need to get through today for this moment in time. And resting in this truth and believing that God will provide what I need is something I've struggled with. For those of you who might not know me personally, around four years ago, I moved away to university and two weeks into my first semester, I sustained a severe concussion. This concussion impacted every single part of my life. I slept about 14 hours a day. I lived in the dark. I had constant migraines, vision problems, um, mood swings, cognitive challenges. I was in this new place with new people, studying new things, and I suddenly felt totally alone because I wasn't actually able to physically do anything aside from sleep, eat in the dark, um, attend class quite painfully, and maybe have the occasional conversation. When I say it transformed my life, it transformed my life. 
everything just felt way too painful. And, and I continued on with this first semester. Um, some doctors said, you know what, come back next year, take a break. But I, I continued on. And I actually ended up living um, in chronic pain for just under two years before I started to experience some relief. And it was a really scary time. And I was constantly worried that I would never get better and that this would be permanent, that this pain would be permanent and that it would never go away. None of my healthcare professionals could explain why I wasn't recovering, um, and it was scary, and I worried a lot. And I don't know what your big worry is, but I do know what it feels like to constantly worry because you don't know what your future is going to look like, or maybe your future looks really freaking scary when you look at it. If you're in this difficult place today and hearing me say, you know, you just need to trust in God and that God wants what's good for you, maybe that's really hard for you to hear. And I want to say that I've been there and I know what that feels like. When we're in these trenches day by day and we're consumed with worry, it can be really hard to see that God is there, that he cares for us, that he's providing for us, that he's providing for you with your daily bread as you ask for it. For me in particular, it took me a while. It took me coming out on the other end a little bit to realize that God was asking me to trust him, to rely on him. And so I don't know what God's teaching you in this time of worry in your life, but I do know he's asking you not to worry. And while I still experience pain, I mean, even this week, I started getting a few migraines, had to go back in the dark for a bit, and I started freaking out. What if this doesn't go away? What if this is permanent? I still find myself worrying. I will never get back to 100%. But looking back, I can see and with confidence say that God was enough for me in each day. And that God was providing for my needs that I didn't even know I had. And so I don't believe it's a coincidence that Jesus ends this section on worry saying, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So many of these beautiful, big, meaningful, difficult life things that we are worrying about are outside of our control. My concussion, my pain was outside of my control. Jesus is encouraging us to influence and take action in what we can in each given day, but trust the future to him. Jesus very bluntly asked this rhetorical question in verse 27. He says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And while we hear this and we logically recognize that worry can't add time to our lives, in my instance, I knew worry wouldn't make my pain go away. We still try to convince ourselves that worrying somehow might help. It might enable us to solve our problems by ourselves. And these habits of worry are really hard to break. But psychology teaches us that in order to break a habit, it's really helpful to create a new one to replace it with. And Philippians 4, 6 beautifully articulates the replacement habit that God is calling us to. The verse says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, and this is where you get to that replacement habit, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so I don't know about you guys, but I love how practical this verse is for me. Paul's really clear here on the steps to not worrying. It's prayer petition, which is also known as presenting your request to God and thankfulness. And so I want to give you a few practical tips that I've found really helpful in my life and that I've learned actually in the past few weeks studying this topic to help live out this verse in Philippians 4, 6 and live out Jesus's call not to worry. And so the first is to write down your worries, write down your worries 
physically write it out, maybe not the person that journals, but write it out and turn that worry list into a prayer list and actively pray for these things each day. Maybe it's each morning. The second practical tip is remind yourself why you are worrying. We can't ignore Paul's call to be thankful that he's giving in this verse in Philippians. In these moments of despair and frustration, it can be really hard to be thankful. And I'd like to challenge you in those moments of worry, remind yourself why you are worrying. What is this reason? It's because you care deeply, right? And so focus on that peace that you care about and thank God for that. Maybe you're worried about someone's health. I've definitely been there, been worrying about a loved loved one, a family member. Thank God for that relationship that he has blessed you with that's causing you to worry so deeply for that person. And so this brings me to the third one. Don't wait until the end of the day to present your requests to God. Present these requests to God in the moment as they happen, as you first find yourself worrying or else this worry kind of builds up throughout the day and becomes this laundry list that we just give to God at the end of the night, right? It builds up in our hearts, in our minds. Give it to God the right way in the moment, in that present tense marum now, that worry and concern that, that pops up in the moment. And so another reason I love this verse in Philippians is that it also tells us the result of what a life that is free from worry and anxiety looks like. And Paul says here, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And to me, this sounds like a really beautiful promise. God knows our needs and he knows true peace. Allow him to care for you in whatever you're worrying about. Give him permission to provide for you in ways that you didn't even know you needed. Give him permission to provide for you um, in ways that allow you to maximize your impact in his kingdom. And I think that's what Jesus is calling us to in this Sermon on the Mount. Free ourselves from worry. Allow ourselves to enable this kingdom impact. And so we're going to end today with a song that's been really meaningful for me. Um, It's called Sparrows by Corey Asbury. And um, I find myself reaching out to this song uh, in moments of worry and anxiety. And I hope that it is a comfort to you as you reflect on this message. Thank you.